0: So if you'll turn with me to Ephesians 4, and stand if you're able, where it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in you all. Let's pray. Father God, again, we come into your presence, and we just ask you to bless this time together. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that illuminates it to our hearts. Lord, have your way with us this evening. In Christ's name we pray, and all of God's children said. And so, I always like the therefores. So like, we've been over this before. If you get to a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what's the therefore Therefore. So always remember that. So Paul has spent the first three chapters going through doctrine. Um, these, are, these are the, the rules. This is, this is the outline, right? So like in, in these clubs, these worldly clubs, they have rules. You know, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. Uh, even in society, we have rules. You can't. You got You can drive a car. You have this right to do this thing, but you have to drive within these parameters, right? You can. You can go this fast here. You can go this fast there. Try not to kill anybody. Cutting them off. You know. There's rules. So we have this doctrine that Paul is going through all through the first three chapters, and then he gets to the therefore. I therefore. I therefore. So Paul introduces himself and. In, chapter one, and he explains redemption. He lets the, the the church know that he's praying for them, for them to gain this spiritual wisdom. He wants them to grow in wisdom and in knowledge, says the knowledge is the application of wisdom. Chapter two, we see that salvation is by grace through faith, and all three of those uh, are gifts from God, right? So salvation, faith, and grace and faith are all three gifts, right? We we can't even have the faith to believe apart from God granting us faith. We're brought near by the blood of Christ in chapter 2. Christ is our peace, chapter 2. We're brought near. Or he is the, the cornerstone in the household, household of God. If you know what a cornerstone is, that's the, the first stone that's laid in a building. It's perfectly level and it's perfectly straight and upright. Christ is our cornerstone to the, to the, the church, the saints being the foundation. Chapter 3, we have this mystery, uh, this mystery of salvation that was granted to the Gentiles, right? So thank God for that. Um, the purpose of the mystery is that we have access to the Father via Christ's finished work on the cross. So this application of mysteries is, is being grounded in love. So we have all this this doctrine, we have all these these things that have occurred and, and have been explained through the first t- three chapters. So Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now Paul is in prison when he wrote this, so this has a kind of a double meaning. Uh, he was literally in prison, and, and, and he's also a prisoner of Christ. He's a prisoner to the Lord. He, he is obedient uh, as, as someone who is, is captive to something. You know, we have that, um, the uh, semi-Pelagian Armenian will tell you that God is a gentleman and he would never force his will uh, on anyone and they would never, God would never, uh, he would always, you know, you you have this, you have to come to him and he would never force himself on anyone. It's like if you ever read anything that (laughs) that Paul's been through, you know, he's on the road to Damascus and um, the Lord appears to him and he says, you know, why are you kicking against the goads? And that has a deeper, if you ever thought, you know, we read that, and we don't understand, like, kicking against the goad. So, like, you you have to goad an animal to get it to do what you, what you want it to do, or a donkey. Um, so, basically, the Lord is appearing to Paul, and he's like, you look, you dummy, or dumb donkey, or, you know, that other three-letter word. <laughs> because along with that, he's like, look, dummy, why are you kicking against the goad? So that leads you to believe that Paul had must have had some kind of convic- conviction, right? So the Lord had been working on him, and Paul's ignoring him. He's like, nope, not having it. I'm going to kill some Christians on the road to Damascus. I'm going to keep doing my thing, right? So he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, right? Held captive, beseech. The Greek is perikaleo. It means to call to one side, to exhort for instruction, comfort, it's, it's the same word we have for the paraclete which is, is, is used for the Holy Spirit the, the helper that Christ promised so it's along the same lines as that this help beseech paracleo. since I have given you this doctrine in the first three chapters for, 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 for you to, to listen to what I'm getting ready to say therefore I beseech you So that's what the therefore is there for look this is what's going to happen To walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. The King James version says, instead of calling, it says vocation. We all know what a vocation is. We hear vocational schools; you go to learn how to do something, right? So this vocation, to me, it has a a stronger meaning. Um, But we've heard that, you know, people say, "Oh, uh, you you know, he's been called to the ministry," or "I think you found your calling." The vocation kind of lends to the fact that it's something serious, right? Like, I have to do this. Um, so work, walk worthy of this vocation in which you're called. I think that drives it home a little more. Paul is, is exhorting us to walk worthy of this, this Christian calling. You're a Christian. Act like it, right? A.k.a. little Christ. We're a little Christ. We're, we're supposed to be like, as like Christ as humanly possible, Like Paul, it's implied that we're all slaves to Christ. He is our master. Act accordingly. We have this lordship, salvation kind of controversy, right? People want to accept Jesus as Lord, right, or a Savior. They don't like the idea of Lord. They well, you just accept Him as your Savior first, and then maybe along the, you know some somewhere down the road you can accept Him as Lord. Um, I'm reading the book. I think it's called Christ the Lord. It's going over the two different um, schools of thought, meaning that so. You can't have Christ as your Savior if He's not your Lord. They're, they go hand in hand. There's no, I'll take a little bit of Jesus enough to get me out of hell, but I want to live how I want to live. It doesn't really work that way. So, to walk worthy of that calling is to walk in Christ's footsteps. Literally, you're children of the Most High God. Act like it. You know, you've heard me say this before. People, people take the Lord's name in vain. They use His name as a cuss word, right? Or or they'll be driving down the road and they're like, "Oh Jesus," you know, and then something happens, and then, you know, there's other words that people say, "OMG," that, um, you know, that that's considered a, you know, not, not kosher. We shouldn't do that, and I agree. There's, there's things that you don't, they don't use the name Lord, Lord's name in vain, but it's really, it's really deeper than that. Like just a word, it's it's really not walking in faith, not walking as the Lord would would command us to walk, not treating one another like having love for one another and walking in this unity. Beloved, we take the Lord's name in vain daily, multiple times a day in sin, right? So it's much worse than just, or much more serious than what we, well, I I messed up and said this word. Well, in in all of it, God is faithful and just to forgive you you if you confess your sins. First John tells us, in verse 2, it says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. So lowliness and gentleness, humility doesn't mean you're less than anyone else. It doesn't mean you're some kind of loser. It doesn't mean that um, you're, you're anything but a person that sees himself, how, how God sees you, sees you is, is a sinner which is saved by grace. You have value in Christ. You have... All these promises and all these blessings from Christ. Humility. Christians are to exude humility. Christ exuded humility. He was the, the prime example of humility. God is the supreme authority over your life. We serve God by serving others, right? How, how else can we serve God? There's no, like I'm I'm serving the Lord, but I'm I'm playing on my phone for three days. Um, I say I'm serving the Lord, but I don't I don't do anything for the church. I don't come to church. I don't even think about the church. I don't call people when they're sick or call people they're having a hard time. Sometimes we fail to serve others out of selfishness, and that breeds loneliness right we we grow apart people grow apart when we're not serving one another in some capacity loneliness and gentleness are power under control i read a story about horses when they go into battle like these these soldiers horses and they were trained to comp- to protect the, the rider or the soldier, their master. They're, they're trained to do that. But at the same time, they were under the control of the master. So this, they have these horses have all these power. They could kill the guy that's riding them. They can kill whatever's in front of them by stomping them to death. But they are in complete control of their master, their rider. Power under control. Gentleness. These horses are gentle to an extent because they're commanded to be. With long suffering. Patience is trusting in God on His timeline to do what He promises that He's going to do. Our prayer is like, give me patience, give it to me now. I need it now. It's like that commercial for the money, I, I need it now. It doesn't work that way, it's a process. People say, don't pray for patience because you're going to learn real quick what patience is like. It's like God sitting on his throne. It's like, wait, did he, did he just pray for patience because we're going to drop the hammer and teach this guy some patience. It doesn't work that way. In James 1, verses 2 through 5, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man we are as James says to count it all joy when we fall into various trials it's not necessarily that we're going to enjoy the trial it's that what do you have in store for me Lord what are you teaching me what do you want me to learn from this that's that's the attitude and this patience is a byproduct of that right um, I become impatient sometimes with, with people and this afternoon I did. I got I got frustrated and uh, I mean I shut down. Abraham was patient, right? Hebrews six, let's look at that. Verse thirteen it says for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater he swore by himself saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying and I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. This is Abraham. Noah was told to build a a big boat. You know, his father was like, What's a boat? Nowhere near water. Wasn't didn't make any sense. And then it came to fruition when the flood came, he's like, Oh, that's what the boat was for. I see now. But patience. Moses waited 40 years to be able to go deliver Israel from Egypt. It's a long time. And patience is waiting for God to act on his timeline. That's what's best. All these things that we go through are uncomfortable. Romans eight twenty eight. We all know that it's working all things together for good. Continually, no matter what you're going through, it's it's ultimately for our good, for God's glory. And our our good and God's glory are synonymous. Do you realize that? It's it's the same thing. Whether we we want to glorify God in what we say and what we do, but He redirects that glory in blessing, even. Even the most devout atheist is a is a is a beneficiary of God's glory in common grace. He's glorified in that. He even says I made some vessels to honor some to dishonor. God will be glorified. We're put here for no other purpose than to glorify God. And then it, it's reciprocal. It's, it's redirected right back at you. Somebody asks you why you glorify God, it's in my best interest. Most of all it's because He's worthy. Get back to Ephesians here. It says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, verse three. So these char- characteristics build unity: lowliness, gentleness, long suffering. It's the segue of unity. Like so, all these things produce unity. Then kept in the bond of peace via the spirit. Our call is not necessarily to try to generate this unity in and among, in and among us our, ourselves. It's, it's really a byproduct of the, the spirit working within us via the word. H.B. Charles said, it's, it's the will of God to use the word of God. Wait a minute. It's the, it's the will of God to use the spirit of God through the word of God to make us like the son of God. Continually. Then it's manifested in serving one another. Unity is the glue that holds the church together, right? The mortar, the mortar in the building. That's unity. The fruit of the Spirit inevitably makes unity a reality. It's natural. Not to be forced. It can't be forced. We can't do it on our own. We can try. Verse 4 says There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called and. One hope of your calling. One body. It's the body of Christ. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. The church exists in many places, in many languages. We have this common bond, Christ. This is what unites us. Unity. We're united with people that we will never meet in this lifetime. We don't have a clue who they are. We're commanded to pray for them. Nothing separates the body of Christ. United by the Holy Spirit. We have many people claiming to 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 know God's truth or claim God's truth or this God's um word. They they have some kind of special knowledge or something and that threatens the health of the body, right? Have people tell me I have this gift or that gift and they turn out to be nothing more than a headache but ultimately the spirit of god will prevail and bring unity right we've seen that personally here we've seen we've seen discord sown and we've seen the spirit of god unite us and made us stronger verse 5 one one lord one faith one baptism receive our marching orders from one Lord Jesus Christ he died and rose again to reserve that right any other lords with a promise of salvation will not deliver he just said it's only by him that you can come to the father it's always a works based salvation right it's like if you do x y and z you can inherit kingdom of God that popular word Oprahism as long as you're sincere you'll get there just believe something all roads lead to God it's not so being united we can never be divided through Christ the glue verse 6 says, one father one God and one and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all the last element of unity God the Father this ties unit, unity to its Jewish heritage right it goes all the way back only one God is to be worshipped one God unites the church this calls us to practice unity as we live together and demonstrate this unity to the world like if the world sees discord within the churches it causes doubt right why would I do that these people are crazy they they can't even get along with each other you know you can ask you can ask anybody that served food on a Sunday what Christians act like you think they're any better among the, the people that they worship with probably not if they are, they're just putting on airs. We spit in people's faces sometimes, and I'm I'm not saying everybody does that. Obviously, some people. It's just on Sundays you see that more often, and they feel like they feel like you owe them something because they're a Christian. I'm a child of God. Hear me roar. It doesn't work that way. That's not that's not humility. I had one lady, I guess they went to a church up the hill there. And I, I, was, I had a kidney stone and I was at work. I was in a lot of pain. And she said, well, come to our church and I'll pray for you. And I was like, well, is that a prerequisite for you to pray for me? I mean, I don't understand. Like, most Christians would just pray for me anyway because that's what we do. You know, I thought we were united. We can't be united if I don't go to your church, apparently, you know, um, in love. Love is the supreme ethic. You know, Hebrews or uh Yeah, it's Hebrews thirteen. I'm thinking am I thinking right? Or is it first Corinthians thirteen I'm thinking of? Oh, yeah, it was that. Uh, I had it wrong. It says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So love is the chief ethic. Out of love, all these things come. The love of God to us, the love for our brethren, results in serving one another, produces unity like I said if I wanted to leave one thing for us next year it's to remain united and I think we do a pretty good job but I just wanted to have a reminder for us especially myself let's pray merciful Father as we come before you we thank you once again we thank you for this body of believers that are united in Christ and we pray for other bodies of believers united in Christ, around the world. We just pray your blessings over the next year. Lord, lead us and guide us. Let us be patient. Let us wait on you. And most of all, let us bring glory and honor to you. It's in the precious name of Christ. We all pray and all God's children say.